0: LearnOutloud.com presents the Philosophy Podcast. Here we will periodically showcase audio renditions of great works from philosophers such as Plato, Aristotle, Descartes, Nietzsche, and more. For more educational audio and video, please visit our website at www.learnoutloud.com. Second Treatise of Government by John Locke Published in 1689 From Chapter 2 of The State of Nature To understand political power right, and derive it from its original, we must consider what state all men are naturally in, and that is a state of perfect freedom to order their actions and dispose of their possessions and persons as they think fit, within the bounds of the law of nature, without asking leave, or depending upon the will of any other man. A state also of equality wherein all the power and jurisdiction is reciprocal, no one having more than another, There being nothing more evident than that the creatures of the same species and rank, promiscuously born to all of the same advantages of nature, and the use of the same faculties, should also be equal, one amongst another, without subordination or subjection. Unless the Lord and Master of them all, should by any manifest declaration of his will, set one above another, and confer on him, by an evident and clear appointment, an undoubted right to dominion and sovereignty. This equality of men by nature the judicious Richard Hooker looks upon as so evident in itself, and beyond all question, that he makes it the foundation of that obligation to mutual love amongst men, on which he builds the duties they owe one another, and from whence he derives the great maxims of justice and charity. His words are, The like natural inducement hath brought men to know that it is no less their duty to love others than themselves for seeing those things which are equal, must needs all have one measure. If I cannot but wish to receive good, even as much at every man's hands, as any man can wish unto his own soul, how should I look to have any part of my desire herein satisfied, unless myself be careful to satisfy the like desire, which is undoubtedly in other men, being of one and the same nature? To have anything offered them repugnant to this desire, must needs in all respects grieve them as much as me, so that if I do harm, I must look to suffer, there being no reason that others should shew greater measure of love to me than they have by me as shewed unto them. My desire, therefore, to be loved of my equals in nature, as much as possible may be, imposeth upon me a natural duty of bearing to them would fully the like affection, from which relation of equality between ourselves and them that are as ourselves what several rules and canons natural reason hath drawn. But though this be a state of liberty, yet it is not a state of license. Though man in that state have an uncontrollable liberty to dispose of his person or possessions, yet he has not liberty to destroy himself, or so much as any creature in his possession, but where some nobler use than its bare preservation calls for it. The state of nature has a law of nature to govern it, which obliges everyone, and reason, which is that law, teaches all mankind, who will but consult it, that being all equal and independent, no one ought to harm another in his life, health, liberty, or possessions. For men being all the workmanship of one omnipotent, and infinitely wise maker, all the servants of one sovereign master, sent into the world by his order, and about his business, they are his property, whose workmanship they are, made to last during his not one another's pleasure, and being furnished with like faculties, sharing all in one community of nature, there cannot be supposed any such subordination among us that may authorize us to destroy one another, as if we were made for one another's uses, as the inferior ranks of creatures are for ours. Every one, as he is bound to preserve himself, and not to quit his station willfully, So by the like reason, when his own preservation comes not in competition, ought he as much as he can to preserve the rest of mankind, and may not, unless it be to do justice on an offender, take away or impair the life, or what tends to the preservation of the life, the liberty, health, limb, or goods of another. And that all men may be restrained from invading others' rights, and from doing hurt to one another, and the law of nature be observed, which willeth the peace and preservation of all mankind. The execution of the law of nature is, in that state, put into every man's hands, whereby every one has a right to punish the transgressors of the law to such a degree as may hinder its violation. For the law of nature would, as all other laws that concern men in this world, be in vain if there was no body that in the state of nature had a power to execute that law, and thereby preserve the innocent, and restrain offenders. And if anyone in the state of nature may punish another for any evil he has done, everyone may do so. For in that state of perfect equality, where naturally there is no superiority or jurisdiction of one over another, what any may do in prosecution of that law, everyone must needs have a right to do. And thus in the state of nature one man comes by a power over another. But yet no absolute or arbitrary power to use a criminal, when he has got him in his hands according to the passionate heats or boundless extravagancy of his own will, but only to retribute to him so far as calm reason and conscience dictate, which is so much as may serve for reparation and restraint. For these two are the only reasons why one man may lawfully do harm to another, which is that we call punishment. In transgressing the law of nature, the offender declares himself to live by another rule than that of reason and common equity, which is that measure God has set to the actions of men, for their mutual security. And so he becomes dangerous to mankind, the tie which is to secure them from injury and violence being slighted and broken by him, which being a trespass against the whole species, and the peace and safety of it, provided for by the law of nature, every man upon this score, by the right he hath to preserve mankind in general, may restrain, or where it is necessary, destroy things noxious to them and so may bring such evil on any one who hath transgressed that law, as may make him repent the doing of it, and thereby deter him, and by his example others, from doing the like mischief. And in the case, and upon this ground, every man hath a right to punish the offender and be executioner of the law of nature. I doubt not, but this will seem a very strange doctrine to some men, but before they condemn it, I desire them to resolve me by what right any prince or state can put to death or punish an alien for any crime he commits in their country. It is certain their laws, by virtue of any sanction they receive from the promulgated will of the Legislative, reach not a stranger. They speak not to him, nor, if they did, is he bound to hearken to them. The Legislative Authority, by which they are in force over the subjects of that Commonwealth, hath no power over him. Those who have the supreme power of making laws in England, France, or Holland, are to an Indian, but like the rest of the world, men without authority. And therefore, if by the law of nature every man hath not a power to punish offences against it, as he soberly judges the case to require, I see not how the magistrates of any community can punish an alien of another country, since in reference to him they can have no more power than what every man naturally may have over another. Besides the crime which consists in violating the law and varying from the right rule of reason, whereby a man so far becomes degenerate, and declares himself to quit the principles of human nature, and to be a noxious creature, there is commonly injury done to some person or another, and some other man receives damage by his transgression, in which case he who hath received any damage has, besides the right of punishment common to him with other men, a particular right to seek reparation from him that has done it and any other person who finds it just may also join with him that is injured, and assist him in recovering from the offender so much as may make satisfaction for the harm he has suffered. From these two distinct rights, the one of punishing the crime for restraint, and preventing the like offence, which right of punishing is in everybody, the other of taking reparation, which belongs only to the injured party, comes to pass at the magistrate, who by being magistrate hath the common right of punishing put into his hands, can often, where the public good demands not the execution of the law, remit the punishment of criminal offences by his own authority, but yet cannot remit the satisfaction due to any private man for the damage he has received. That, he who has suffered the damage, has a right to demand in his own name, and he alone can remit. The damnified person has this power of appropriating to himself the goods or service of the offender, by right of self-preservation, as every man has a power to punish the crime, to prevent its being committed again, by the right he has of preserving all mankind and doing all reasonable things he can in order to that end. And thus it is that every man in the state of nature has a power to kill a murderer, both to deter others from doing the like injury, which no reparation can compensate, by the example of the punishment that attends it from everybody, and also to secure men from the attempts of a criminal, who having renounced reason, the common rule and measure God hath given to mankind, hath by the unjust violence and slaughter he hath committed upon one, declared war against all mankind, and therefore may be destroyed as a lion or a tiger, one of those wild savage beasts with whom men can have no society nor security, and upon this is grounded that great law of nature, Whoso sheddeth man's blood, by man shall his blood be shed. And Cain was so fully convinced that everyone had a right to destroy such a criminal, that after the murder of his brother he cries out, one that findeth me shall slay me. So plain was it writ in the hearts of all mankind. By the same reason may a man in the state of nature punish the lesser breaches of that law. It will perhaps be demanded with death? I answer, each transgression may be punished to that degree, and with so much severity as will suffice to make it an ill bargain to the offender give him cause to repent and terrify others from doing the like. Every offence that can be committed in the state of nature may in the state of nature be also punished equally, and as far forth as it may in a commonwealth. For though it would be besides my present purpose to enter here into the particulars of the law of nature or its measures of punishment, yet it is certain there is such a law. And that, too, as intelligible and plain to a rational creature and a studier of that law, as the positive laws of commonwealths, nay, possibly plainer, as much as reason is easier to be understood than the fancies and intricate contrivances of men, following contrary and hidden interests put into words. For so truly are a great part of the municipal laws of countries, which are only so far right, as they are founded on the law of nature by which they are to be regulated and interpreted. To this strange doctrine, that in the state of nature everyone has the executive power of the law of nature, I doubt not, but it will be objected, that it is unreasonable for men to be judges in their own cases, that self-love will make men partial to themselves and their friends, and on the other side, that ill-nature, passion and revenge will carry them too far in punishing others, and hence nothing but confusion and disorder will follow, and that therefore God hath certainly appointed government to restrain the partiality and violence of men. I easily grant that civil government is the proper remedy for the inconveniences of the state of nature which must certainly be great, where men may be judges in their own case, since it is easy to be imagined that he who was so unjust as to do his brother an injury will scarce be so just as to condemn himself for it. But I shall desire those who make this objection to remember that absolute monarchs are but men, and if government is to be the remedy of those evils which necessarily follow from men's being judges in their own cases— And the state of nature is therefore not to how much better it is than the state of nature where one man, commanding a multitude, has the liberty to be judge in his own case, and may do to all his subjects whatever he pleases, without the least liberty to any one to question or control those who execute his pleasure? And in whatsoever he doth, whether led by reason, mistake, or passion, must be submitted to, much better it is in the state of nature wherein men are not bound to submit to the unjust will of another. And if he that judges, judges amiss in his own or any other case, he is answerable for it to the rest of mankind. It is often asked as a mighty objection, where are or ever were there any men in such a state of nature? To which it may suffice as an answer at present, that since all princes and rulers of independent governments all through the world are in a state of nature, It is plain the world never was, nor ever will be, without numbers of men in that state. I have named all governors of the independent communities, whether they are or are not, in league with others, for it is not every compact that puts an end to the state of nature between men, but only this one of agreeing together mutually to enter into one community, and make one body politic. The promises and bargains between a Swiss and an Indian in the woods of America are binding to them, though they are perfectly in a state of nature in reference to one another. For truth and keeping a faith belongs to men as men, and not as members of society. To those that say there were never any men in the state of nature, I will not only oppose the authority of the judicious Richard Hooker, where he says, The laws which have been hitherto mentioned, i.e., the laws of nature, do bind men absolutely even as they are men, although they have never any settled fellowship, never any solemn agreement amongst themselves what to do or not to do, but forasmuch as we are not by ourselves sufficient to furnish ourselves with competent store of things, needful for such a life as our nature doth desire, a life fit for the dignity of man. Therefore to supply those defects and imperfections which are in us, as living single and solely by ourselves, we are naturally induced to seek communion and fellowship with others. This was the cause of men's uniting themselves at first in politic societies. But I moreover affirm that all men are naturally in that state, and remain so till by their own consents they make themselves members of some politic society.